1: Welcome back, folks, here on Big Blue View. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum and Nick Filato as we continue our Meet the Prospects series where we are introducing you to the various draft selections in the 2021 NFL Draft by the New York Giants, profiling these players, discussing their strengths and weaknesses, a number of different aspects of what to expect for these young players that will be rookies next season. Today we will be discussing Aziz Ojalari, the pass rusher out of Georgia, the second round pick that slid to the Giants and was considered to be a great selection by New York. Before we get to that though folks, make sure you hit that subscribe button, head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. So guys, Aziz Ojalari is a fun prospect, somebody who many people projected to be a first round pick but ends up going to the Giants in the second round some considered it to be a major steal but just highlighting who this guy is physically six foot two 249 not necessarily a big massive pass rusher on the lighter side uh, ran a 462 40 had a 10 foot seven inch broad and then in 2020 he had 12 and a half sacks sorry 12 and a half tackles for loss and nine and a half sacks so pretty productive in his time as a bulldog and if we're rolling into discussing his strengths how would you guys describe him what what would you point out as his biggest strengths because for me the things that popped out on the little tape that i watched was that he was a a speed rusher that has pretty good hand usage which really helps him despite not being on the bigger side I
2: would say with Aziz, and I think one strength, especially relative to the New York Giants, is the fact that he can do everything that Patrick Graham is going to ask him to do. He can drop into coverage. He's very, very aggressive playing the run. He can set the edge. He's very good using the squeeze technique, taking on pulling linemen, and then rushing the passer. He has one really, I guess you could say, elite pass rush move, but I believe he can do a little bit more than just that. He can convert speed to power, but he used that one move very, very well at college because it was hard for college offensive tackles to be. And that one move is quick, get off quickly stab with his left arm or his outside arm, or I mean his inside arm, whichever one it is. And then he violently chops the outside arm of the tackle with his other arm. And then he dips that inside shoulder and just kind of turns the corner has enough flexibility to do that. So that would be his elite trait that, or the elite move that he has. But I think there's still room to grow other pass rush moves. He'll, he can do a better job stringing moves together, getting to a counter move off that move because that moves, you know, carries a lot of commitment because you're getting up the arc, you're trying to get to the half man, you're trying to get your hips turned around that corner. But I still think there's a lot of room to grow. Love the violence in his hands. He has big hands. And again, he's six foot two. And a lot of people are like, oh yeah, he's not long. He's six foot two. But like that's not really true. He has 34 and a half inch arms, has longer arms than Ellerson Smith, who's six foot six. So I think he has that naturally, that natural low leverage while also carrying long arms. And I think they're just a lot of merit to having that, and I think that's actually a good quality that Aziz also brings to the table. But I am I'm excited about what he's going to be able to do off the edge as a pass rusher, and if he can continue to kind of grow that repertoire, that will even help him a little bit more. And 249, he still plays the run pretty well. I think it's going to be a a starting edge from day one, possibly.
3: Yeah, I agree, and you know, you kind of got a little ahead of us there, jumping into the weaknesses. <laughs> but i I'm, I'm just going to go back and the two things i think just right off the you know, right off the bat that jump out to me with ojalari are his burst linear linear acceleration you talk about that uh 46240 he's got a pretty darn good 10 yard split it's a one 10 yard split he's got that uh 10 foot 7 broad jump so he can get moving in a straight line in a hurry he's got a really good closing burst at the end of his rushes as well and then also just competitive toughness, you know, that that's something that I, it's something you have to evaluate with everybody, but it also doesn't get talked about a whole lot. You know, it's easy to talk about the measurables, the, the height, weight, speed, arm length, those sorts of things. But there isn't really a metric for just hustle. And ojalari is a guy who gets after it. Yeah. I saw him make plays on tape that Other players might not make just because he never gave up on the play. He would be down on the ground and then get back up and chase down quarterback. You know, He might not get the tackle for loss, but he'd be there for the stop.
1: And I didn't watch as much as you guys did. I didn't highlight him and break him down in terms of a full scouting report as much as you guys did. But Chris, what you just brought up is the first thing that stood out to me immediately on his best plays where he's got a really good motor. I see a guy that is going to bust his ass. He has that hustle in him. And frankly, I, I thought that was why he made so much sense as a first-round pick when they traded back to 20 because that's the the mentality that the Giants have been trying to build their defense around under Joe Judge and under Patrick Graham is these high-motor, high, uh, high big-hustle-type guys that you know he doesn't necessarily need to be super big and long like Gregory Rousseau. His play style is a lot different. But because he has that motor, I think he's going to work pretty effectively within within Patrick Graham's defense. And we're going to talk a little bit about how he's going to fit. And I think that's where the, his discussion and the discussion on Azizogluari things get interesting because he's going to be used, I think, in a in a, possibly in a few different ways because of the way that he's built physically, what he's capable of doing. Um, but if we're talking about his weaknesses, the first thing I want to hit on before we get into his actual weaknesses is the alleged issues with his knee. Now, that was considered to be why he slid into the second round was because of a knee injury that required multiple operations that happened early on in his time at Georgia. This was not a knee injury that happened in the 2020 season. This was when he was a freshman or redshirt freshman somewhere around then. So I I think we need to discuss, like, why should we not be worried about this? Because, frankly, in my eyes, I think it's kind of silly that he slid that far for a knee injury that was all the way back when he first got to Georgia. like It seems like it was an over-precaution, and because of the circumstance of uh, the NFL draft process this year just being so screwed up because of COVID that a lot of teams overthought it. Same thing with Jeremiah usu who was pushed back because of an alleged heart condition that he didn't even really know that he had a, a problem with that was an issue. So what do you guys think about the knee issue for Oz- Ojalari?
2: Our uh, very own Ed Valentine actually just interviewed Aziz Ojalari, and the knee issue got brought up. And Aziz had no idea where that was coming from. And he even said in the interviews, "Like I never missed a practice, I never missed a meeting, I never missed anything. It was something that actually happened in high school. It wasn't even while he was at the University of Georgia. Something that dated back to high school. So he was kind of uh, perplexed as to why it became a talking point. You guys know how how um fluky this process is sometimes." With the uh, pre-draft press, sometimes like information is leaked on purpose to have guys slide. I'm not saying that that's necessarily what happened, but it was just odd that that kind of ended up cropping up, led to this little slide from the consensus of what people thought of Zizo Jolari, where he would go. But hey, the Giants are going to be the beneficiary of this right now. I'm not overly worried about the knee. It didn't seem like Dr. James Andrews, who is much wiser than I am, <laughs> much smarter than I am. It didn't seem like he was overly worried about it, so that's not something that... Really, uh, I'm particularly worried about one other thing about Aziz Ojalar, just speaking on his strengths because we talked about his competitive toughness as well. He was also a captain of the University of Georgia as a redshirt freshman, like that doesn't happen all that often for someone like Kirby Smart's team. So, that really speaks to the kid's
3: character, Uh, yeah. It it really does. And just going back to the knee, I'll be honest, I don't know what to make of it. Uh, and I think that is at least for me the most honest and responsible answer I can give. You know, I haven't seen this medical reports. And even if I did, I'm not an orthopedist. I don't have a medical degree. I, I'm pretty good at research and I can figure stuff out. But that's different from um, going pre-med and then med school and then having years of experience. So I I just don't know. You know I know Tony Pauline did report that teams had multiple red flags on the knee following the medical recheck at the beginning of april uh that's pretty much all i have been able to find out i know he did have a second surgery just after he got to georgia that basically shut that was what shut down his true freshman year i haven't Mm -hmm. been able to find out what that surgery was i believe me i have looked i went back through Basically, all of the local media, local papers, all of the University of Georgia print that I could find, I I do not know what that surgery was. So, yeah, I I have to put this one a big old incomplete. I think it's something to be aware of going forward just because the knee is probably fine right now, but we just don't know what it's going to be like after a 17 game season, I think he only, his longest season was 11 games in 2019. So that might be the concern is just, you know, what happens to it at, you know, almost twice as many games? And then where is it three years down the line, four years down the line, as you're, you know, maybe looking to give him a second contract? I, I think that could have been what the, NFL as a whole was concerned about because you know all of us said that Ojalari would have been a perfectly fine pick at 11th overall. I think we each of us had him as a just based on his tape a top 15 top 20 type player that sound about fair.
1: Yeah, that's that there. Like that. right. Yeah, that was about the consensus. Yeah,
3: but you know the, the Giants passed on him three times before they took him so uh, maybe it was out of an abundance of caution, but I Feel like it's something to at least be aware of, even if it's fine right now.
1: And honestly, the this might be a conversation that we'll forget about pretty quickly. But as you pointed out, as he gets into his mid mid to later twenties, that could be where it actually crops up and ends up disrupting his career. So this could be something that we completely remember. Oh wait, remember Aziz Jalari's knee? And hopefully that's not the case, and he's completely healthy, which. It sounds like things hopefully should be fine for Aziz Ojolari. Separate from the knee, though, if we're talking about this guy as a prospect, what are his deficiencies as a football player? Nick, what do you, what do you think about Ojolari?
2: I would say deficiencies as a football player is the ability to string some more moves together, be more adaptive of his pass rushing arc, get to that counter move quickly, maybe be a little bit more instinctual with reading what the offensive tackle is doing. And again, a lot of that is kind of predicated on the fact that that one really go-to move that he used is a move that's a little bit hard to counter off of when you really sell it up the field because then you're going to have the tackle's momentum really going that direction. I think one move maybe you can pull off off that would be a hump move if you use that same inside arm that you used to stab to just kind of put your forearm underneath the offensive tackle's inside arms shoulder pad and kind of lift up if he was able to do that and really convert that's converting a lot of speed to power in those kind of scenarios, possibly he could do that. But I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm nitpicking a bit with that, but I, I did come away from this film being like, whenever he was stopped with that go-to move, it was like he was eliminated from the play and you would like for that not to necessarily be a thing.
3: Yeah. I saw a lot of the same thing. If, if that initial stab got countered by the tackle if they were able to absorb that or get their hands on him first which is easier said than done because he does have those long arms and that really good burst but if the tackle was really prepared for it it, it would be like he's kind of like a, a car that got high centered he didn't have anywhere to go he would just be hung up and then you know the, the play would more or less be over yeah i'm with you i'd like to see him really develop a a good counter move you know Maybe kind of like the uh, like a Dwight Freeney spin move, you know, go back towards the inside, get the get the tackle committed to defending that outside shoulder, and then go back in through the B gap. Maybe something like that could be useful in his arsenal, or maybe use a little bit more power with a a long arm because he does have that natural leverage. And then you know, one other thing, just while we're nitpicking, I did see him pop up at the beginning of reps a few times, not often. But when he did, it was noticeable. And he does have that great natural leverage at 6'2". But when he kind of stands up and doesn't keep his pads down, he's still a 250-pound defensive end. There are a lot of tackles who have 50 or 70 pounds on him. And that was when they could really control him.
1: Right. That That's something that you have to consider to be concerning when you have a smaller pass rusher. You can't be popping up when you're a few inches shorter than most tackles. So that's definitely a concern, If even if it's not often that he does it. That's something that needs to be noted for Ojolari that he'll probably need to focus and work on uh, improving throughout his career and, and as a rookie in the NFL. We're going to talk about his potential impact in 2021, how we think he might be used before we do, though, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. So, guys, if we're talking about how Aziz Ojolari is going to contribute for the Giants in 2021, how do we think that's going to work? Because what we saw last season for the Giants' outside linebackers and pass rushers, they were used in uh, of, in various ways – you know on the field they were asked to pass rush some of the times they were asked to cover not necessarily a a strict hand in the dirt type role for for pass rushers so when you see Aziz Ojolari what do you think Patrick Graham is going to do with him and also maybe what kind of like actual impact like do we think he's going to get a ton of reps do we think he's going to push himself to the top of the the pass rush group or is he going to slowly work his way in
2: I think uh, a lot of this is going to be contingent on the health of Lorenzo Carter and, and even O'Shane Zimenez, but specifically Lorenzo Carter, because Lorenzo Carter is back to say he's fully healthy. I think Lorenzo Carter would be the de facto number one starter. And then probably ojalari would probably be two, to be honest. And I'm, I wanted to kind of bounce this off both of you. I don't really know what's going to happen with O'Shae Zimenez if he hasn't proven that he can set the edge. And if he hasn't proven that he can be reliable and really with uh, uphold the continuity of Patrick Graham's defense. That puts a lot on on edge defenders to set an edge and spill the run outside on any kind of outside run because teams don't want to run up the middle against the Giants when they're in those tight fronts. When And I know they're not going to have Dalvin Tomlinson, but even if you put Danny Shelton there, that A-gap is just filled with bodies. The B-gap is filled with bodies. So you try to run outside and you need those edge defenders to be able to set the edge to spill everybody else, those secondary force defenders and those contained defenders. So if and Zimenez can't do that, I don't know what his role is gonna be other than maybe a situational type of pass rusher. But let's go back to Ojolari for a second. I mean, if Lorenzo Carter's really healthy, I think Ojalari could be the starter opposite of him and we'll be looking at two bulldogs. Where it gets a little bit tricky is I feed Odenabo, if he really has a really good camper, they believe in him a lot. Could he possibly be somebody who starts either way? I think Ojalari is gonna have a, a pretty significant snap share early on in the season and we should see that as long as he's healthy and as long as his development is good as long as he's as good against the run as he was in the SEC
3: yeah I I think he will be the starter and I think he'll be the starter soon um but I also don't want to get too hung up on who plays the very first snap I think we will see a pretty robust rotation uh just because we do the Giants do have those two guys Carter and Zimenez, coming off injury uh I think Ed actually left Ziminez off of his uh, in very, very early roster projection. And, you know, I, I could actually see that uh, maybe less because of what he showed in his rookie year and what he showed before getting injured, but just because, you know, shoulder injuries are tricky for linemen and defensive linemen in particular. You know, Justin Tuck was never really the same after Doug Free tripped him and he messed his shoulder up back in what was that uh 2010. Yeah, know those shoulder injuries they can have a lasting effect on these guys. And you know, Carter that he tore his Achilles. So for a guy as dependent on his athleticism as Carter is, you know, we don't know just what what kind of long-reaching effects that could have if he could get back to fully healthy. So I think we are going to see a a really good rotation and Graham mixing and matching guys, maybe even breaking out three pass rusher sets, four pass rusher sets, even, you know, maybe like a full house, you know, four aces, full house type set where you get all of these edges and Leonard Williams out there as the sole hand in the dirt defensive lineman and just get after the passer with speed. But also, you know, Ojalari can do pretty much everything. He can drop into those shallow coverages for zone blitzes. He can get after passers with speed. He can play with his hand in the dirt. He can play out of a two point stance. So when he asked what his role could be, I I would just say yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, when we're talking about Ojalari, and I I don't think this is too out of pocket to say, but wouldn't you guys agree? that Ojolari probably has the most juice out of the current group. Like he could have a – when I say juice, I'm, I'm talking in terms of like what he's capable of doing. And I'm not trying to knock any of the other guys, but I just think that the potential that Ojalari has, barring being fully healthy compared to the other guys in the group who haven't really been that productive, would you guys agree that Ojalari has that potential to really turn himself into the lead guy of the group?
2: I would say so. I mean, again, Lorenzo Carter, I think is the uh, is the one guy where it's like, yeah, if he's fully healthy from an Achilles injury, which is brutal, then I think Lorenzo Carter could have maybe even a higher upside than someone like an Aziz Ojalari. But because he's still like what twenty five years old, Chris, he's still yeah. young, Lorenzo Carter, and he has really good bend. He, he's you know built like an Adonis. He's somebody who has not reached the potential that he could quite yet. And again, a lot of it was cause of the injury, but I, I think you're onto something, Joe, when it, when it comes to Aziz Ojolari, I think, yes, he probably does have the, the highest potential with that X factor being a healthy, uh, Lorenzo.
3: Yeah. I would say just as a natural pass rusher, Ojolari has it for me. Like I'm a big fan of Lorenzo Carter. I really like him. I liked him from, you know, back before he was drafted. You know, I remember tweeting out that, you know, he, during the combine that year, Carter was one of the three linebackers the Giants just had to pick Uh, based on his incredible athleticism. Just the problem is he's, I don't know that he ever really flipped the switch in terms of translating his burst, his bend, his length, all of those raw tools into being an edge. And he was, he's always looked a little bit better to me as a space player than just a Get after the quarterback pass rusher. So I, I think just that natural knack for getting after the passer, Ojalari has that.
1: So sliding in that this conversation into talking about his ceiling and his floor, and I think when we talk about any of these prospects, that's always where everyone is going to be the most interested is how high is this guy going to reach? What's the lowest we're possibly going to see from this player? Because you want to hit on a second-round pick like this. You want it to be like a Landon Collins or a Dalvin Tomlinson. Ironically, they are not currently with the Giants anymore. But the Giants have had a tendency to really hit home runs with with second-round picks here, turning into really high-impact players on their roster. So if we're discussing this ceiling-floor-type uh, type bit, how would we describe Jalari? Where How high do we think he can go, and how low is he going to be? And honestly, it, is the floor strictly based on if the knee becomes a problem and it sucks to keep bringing it up, but I I think that has to be brought into the equation for the floor. Yeah. I kind of want to do this exercise without the knee (laughs) to be honest. I would, I would encourage that. I was going to say, I would probably encourage ignoring the knee because like, that's such a, a damn wild card that we can't really fully project with that in there.
2: Yeah. So I would say the ceiling for Zizo Jolari is potentially by year three, you're hoping that he's hovering around those double digit sack numbers. That's what you really want. And possibly even getting up to, you know, 13, but that's still a high ceiling for him to reach. Cause as Chris and I have alluded to, he still needs to kind of refine his pass rushing process. I feel like, and I don't believe that's necessarily being too, too nitpicky. You do want to see him have that second move that he can kind of build off of that first move. Like we spoke about on the floor. I don't expect Aziz Ojolari to be some sort of bust. I think he's going to come in here and with, The tutelage of Patrick Graham, the the stunts and the twists. I think he may be able to get some easy sacks like that, some cleanup sacks, also be a sound backside pursuit run defender, as well as a good frontside run defender. So I think the floor, I don't want to say it's high, but I don't think it's super low either. So I think it would just be a situational pass rusher in year one that gets, you know, four, four sacks or something, maybe three sacks, which we'd be like, oh, man, we would have liked more than that but it didn't necessarily materialize i should say probably that's by year 3 but if if diseaseo isn't getting to like you know 6 7 sacks a season by year 3 then ultimately we're probably going to look back on this and be like yeah he's not living up to the potential that we would have liked unless it's of course due to injury yeah
3: yeah i think that's fair yeah he, he could probably surpass 4 sacks as a rookie just based on how well this defense was, how well this defense did last year and forcing quarterbacks to hold the ball. You know, we saw so many of the Giants' sacks last year were coverage sacks and it's probably fair to expect that Ojolari is going to be the giant's fastest pass rusher. So he gives them that speed rush. They'd never really had last year. So if he can get into the backfield in three seconds, when the coverage will hold up for five, he should find some success there. Now, by year three, I should I should hope his ceiling would be, like you said, a 10, 12 sack a year player. But that is contingent on him really honing his craft as a pass rusher, being able to have you know, maybe not throw out as many different pitches as a Japanese starter, but at least have that good go-to that he already has, a good counter, and then maybe a third one to really mix it up so he can work the psychology of blockers and set them up so he can beat them later on in the game Michael Strahan might have only needed two moves but yeah that's kind of a high bar to hold any player to as for a floor assuming he stays healthy I think he's just a good edge you know a guy who can hold up in the run game he can be you know dogged not to pun too badly in pursuit (laughs) (laughs) and you know even if he isn't a consistently dangerous pass rusher, just be a good pass rusher. We said before we did this, we weren't going to make any stupid comps, but I've got two in my head that I just have to throw out there. You know, the first one, is, as a ceiling, maybe an, an OCU Manurea type player. You know, a guy he's might just be a one trick pony, but goddamn, that's one hell of a good trick. And then as a floor. Matthias Kiwanuka, a guy who is a good, solid, versatile edge player. He might not be your primary pass rusher, but he's a guy you don't hate to see on the field.
2: Actually, uh, I think that's unique. And I love the fact that you stuck to the New York Giants to to pull the comps out. Right, (laughs) The listeners of the podcast are going to love
3: that. What's the use of a comp of a guy you've never heard of?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was talking uh, football a little while ago with, with John Ledger, who does an excellent job covering the sport. And he brought up Aziz Ojolari, and, and I also saw him tweet about this as well. And he made the the comp to Yannick Ngakwe. And I would say that I see it to an extent. I think Ngakwe is a little bit more flexible in his lower half, yet Aziz Ojolari is a little bit better at embracing physicality and, and playing the run. So I think that's what it is. But I think it's mainly just because in college, Aziz frequently attack the outside and frequently attack the outside. That's kind of what you and I were talking about, Chris. We want them to maybe develop a little bit, some moves to attack the inside because you alluded to it a little bit earlier, man. You want to be able to set up moves. You want to be able to, hey, I'm going to keep attacking outside, And then you get that tackle like we saw with Andrew Thomas, cheat up the pass rushing arc a little bit. And then what does that, what does that allow you that allows you to just go inside? And that's something that I don't feel like we saw a lot of in college. So hopefully he develops the ability to kind of play that mental gymnastics with offensive tackles
3: in the NFL. Yeah, I, I always do kind of liken being a pass rusher to being a starting pitcher where you need at least, you definitely need two really good pitches and it helps to have a third and a fourth. So you can really work the offense and set them up and Get them looking the way you want and then win the chess game maybe later on on a key third down where, okay, they they, they assume you're going to use that stab and swipe, go hard up the field, and then all of a sudden you're juking in through the B-gap and you got a free run at the quarterback.
1: So ojolari has got some pretty interesting names that we've thrown out there for potential ceiling and floor. Love the... As Nick, as you said, love the effort to connect yet again to the New York Giants. And, heck, if he turns into Matthias Kiwanuka, I think that's a a pretty decent contributor for this this Giants team that we're hoping to only get better defensively next season and within the next few years be one of the better defensive teams in the NFL if Patrick Graham is still the defensive coordinator. Folks, thanks for tuning in to today's episode, today's prospect profile. We're going to do Aaron Robinson next, so stay tuned for that coming out later in the week uh make sure you hit that subscribe button head to bigblueview.com and also follow us on social media at bigblueview on twitter and instagram enjoy the rest of your day folks we'll talk to you soon